The Rural Health Voice, Episode 112, Rural Health Leadership. Welcome to The Rural Health Voice. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. Why is it important to be involved in rural health advocacy? Dr. Kevin Bennett, Director of the Center for Rural and Primary Health Care at the University of South Carolina, joined me to discuss his path to the NRHA presidency. Well, welcome, Kevin. Good to have you here today. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So these days, you are Dr. Bennett, the Director of Center for Rural Health and Primary Health Care at the University of South Carolina, but you started life as a kid in rural Virginia. What was the career path that led you from Christiansburg to Columbia? Yeah, it's an interesting winding path, as most things are. I, like you said, I grew up in Christiansburg, um, or as we like to call it, Crittenburg. And, you know, I was there till I went to college. And like most kids from small towns, I looked at all the colleges across the U.S. and tried to go to Cornell or this school in Indiana called Rose Holman that no one's ever heard of and ended up 10 minutes away in Blacksburg at Virginia Tech and started off in architecture. That was my first major. Realized that was for the birds, not for me. Switched to engineering for exactly one semester and actually worked at Federal Mogul there in Blacksburg uh, designing engine bearings, doing a lot of CAD drawing. And I was like, this is not what I want to do the rest of my life. And it was when I was on a run with a friend of mine that he was, I was talking about what am I going to do with my life? And he was like, you like to exercise. Why don't you do that? So I eventually ended up in exercise science and got a degree in human nutrition, foods, and exercise. Went to my first job in DC and DC is very different than Christiansburg. It's a large urban center and it lasted about four months before I got out of there. Couldn't, just couldn't take the city life. It wasn't for me up in Harrisonburg, Virginia, working several jobs. I babysat, I changed oil, and I was a fitness trainer at the local gym. And that's when I realized I need a grad degree to do anything with my life. And got a degree in health administration, basically. Uh, it was kind of a, how do you run a wellness center, wellness programs, those sorts of things. I was thinking I would run a hospital-based wellness center at some point on graduation. But it was during that degree program that I took a class by Dr. Cockley and it was a health policy class. And I was like, wow, this, this is it. This is what I want to do. Everybody gets excited about health policy. I know, but it just really resonated. And I was like, this is how I can make change at a macro level and improve people's lives. And I was just, you know, got the bug. And so I applied to different universities to try to get my doctorate in that, try to take that career path next, and ended up at the University of South Carolina. They had just gotten funding for a rural health research center. Dr. Michael Samuels and Dr. Jan Probst were the two PIs on that. And Jan, I met with Jan Probst, and she hired me on day one to be a GA for this new rural health research center. And I was like, hey, this is even better because I'm from rural, I love rural, do policy, do systems research, policy-oriented research. And frankly, I've been doing it ever since. That was in fall of 2001 that I've been doing that. So it's been 
that was a that was a long journey. I got my doctorate in '05, and I've been a professor of something or other ever since then. And what does the Center for Rural and Primary Healthcare do? That's a good question. So our center has only been in existence since 2017, and I say only now, realizing that's almost seven years. Uh, it feels like yesterday. But we are a center of excellence here at the USC School of Medicine in Columbia. And we have been tasked by the legislature. They actually came to us and said, we want to establish the center at your school to work on rural health delivery, workforce, education, and research needed to inform all of that. And so we get money directly from the legislature every year to basically provide grants, cooperative agreements, startup funds to rural health programs all across the state. Currently, we're in 40 of 46 counties, which is pretty good. We're funding about 60 to 70 different programs across the state. And it's a wide range of things that we fund from we're subsidizing pediatric subspecialists to go to rural communities and deliver care directly there instead of having the patients, kids come to them. Uh, We're doing mental health services, a lot of maternal child health, a lot of innovative programs. You know, how do you integrate pharmacy into a rural health clinic, for example? Um, how do you provide telehealth care in various settings like libraries or housing complexes? It's a lot of, you know, let's fill the gaps. We have a joke that we don't actually do anything, but what we're doing is trying to figure out how to improve the system and the structure and connect the dots and those folks who are out there in the communities doing the work, boots on the ground, how do we get them over the hump? How do we give them the resources they need to deliver great care? Um, And our goal is always to fund them for two to four years and let them fly out of the nest on their own. And a lot of programs can do that. And it's, it's a really interesting way to do things. Yeah, I have a running joke that I don't know anything. I know everyone. And so my job is just a traffic director. You talk to this person, you talk to this person, everybody gets their gaps filled. That's exactly right. I Sometimes I use the analogy that we're the interstitial fluid of rural healthcare delivery, delivering all the nutrients. You know, only somebody in healthcare background would even get that joke. <laughs> I know. it's. I have to write, make it for the right audience. <laughs> and in, in addition to the important work for USC, you were involved in the National Rural Health Association. Why do you d- decide to get involved in rural advocacy at the national level? Right. And that actually started a long time ago as well. Uh, Dr. Samuels took me to my first NRHA meeting back in 2002. And if there's any indication of how the world changes and how rural residents are, that was the first time I flew in an airplane when I was 27 years old to go to this conference. But he brought me to NRHA as the annual meeting in Kansas City. And, you know, he brought me and Daniel Patterson, another graduate student, just to show us what rural advocacy was all about, how to people go about making changes to policy, being informed about policy to deliver better care. Uh, He walked us around and introduced us to everyone that we could think of. I still have friends from that meeting, colleagues from that meeting that I've known now for 20 plus years, um, 22 years now going on. And it was an interesting because everyone at NRHA was very approachable and very interested and also very excited to see two young, less than 30-year-old students interested in policy and advocacy as well. And we started asking the right questions and talking to the right people and ended up starting the student group. NRHA didn't have a student group at that time. And so Daniel and I put the framework together to start that. And it's now a 
fairly robust constituency group with a nice pipeline of students that learn about rural policy and advocacy and can take that into their careers going forward. So yeah, I've been involved ever since. I've literally think I've been on every single NRHA committee. I've been chair of the Policy Congress, chair of the Journal of Rural Health, Finance Committee, all that sorts of things, and currently president and chair of the Board of Trustees. So I've made it all the way to the top. And what are you hoping to accomplish as the NRHA president? You know, I have a couple things. You know, how much can I actually accomplish in a year is challenging, as you know, having been president before. But I think there's two things I'm trying to really focus on. One is, you know, there's this future of rural health document that was produced by NRHA about 10, 12 years ago that really needs to be updated. And how do we do that? But how do we do it in a way that it's easier to update, but keeping up with changing times? You know, everything changed with COVID, delivery changed, opportunities changed, workforces changed. So what does that look like going forward and how do we create that kind of framework? And it looks like we're going to partner possibly with Rupri Research Center to do some of this work, to get some stakeholders together to talk about what this looks like. Where is rural health going to be in 10, 20, 30 years? And how can we as the NRHA be responsive to that? So that that's kind of a bigger initiative, but I think it's one that could really shape the way NRHA does advocacy going forward. I think hopefully lead to some really innovative rural programs that could lead the way with healthcare reform, delivery reform, new models of care, new payment models and the like that could really be transformative. And really related to that, I think, you know, what I really want to do is highlight the good in rural. You know, a lot of people talk about what rural doesn't have and what it's lacking or what it's missing and the gaps or the disparities. Frankly, I get tired of hearing that. We all know that. But there's so much good happening in rural. There's so many great communities that are vibrant, that are resilient, that are incredibly creative, and so much good food. Every time I go to a new rural community, there's some new food item that I'm like, this is amazing. Food festivals. But there's a lot to offer, and I feel like if we only focus on the negative, we're going to miss out on that. And so let's focus on the positive. Let's focus on what we do have in rural and how we can leverage that for change. That's good. You know, and I think... I want to see urban communities learning from rural communities and adopting what we're already doing and thriving because of that. And I think we could do that. Sure. I would rather test out a new idea in a small rural environment than take something that I know works in Chicago and try to squeeze it down into Lee County. Right. That very rarely happens. Well, right. And you mentioned that you first became an active in NRHA as a grad student. Mm-hmm. Typically, graduate school doesn't allow a lot of time for extra activities. Mm-hmm. Why did you think volunteering for NRHA was worth it? Well, because we were doing policy-oriented research at the research center that I was the grad student at. And my program was, I think, very policy-centric. You know, we did a lot of policy analysis and reading and things like that. And it just seemed to fit in together Both Dr. Probst and Samuels were very supportive of us using even graduate assistant time to do NRHA work because they saw it as not only helpful for advocacy and for our training, but also made us better informed students to work on the policy analyses that we were doing for the funding. So, you know, I think it was just great mentors who saw the value in it. I think I would have done it anyway and just tried to find the time for it. You know, this was before we had kids. So, you know, when you don't have kids, you can do a lot of things you can't do after you have kids. And, you know, like I said, I just saw the value in it. I thought it was extremely informative. I learned a ton. 
And it was just a great, friendly organization to try to make some good changes with. And you mentioned that at that first meeting, NRJ folks were excited to see students participating. You know, you and I are now um, a long ways from the beginning of our careers and retirement might be looming there in the distance. What should we do to inspire the next generation to become rural health advocates? Yes, that I I have thought about that. It's uh, yeah, I now am uh, a little bit older than when I started. I um, have a long white beard. If anybody wants to find me at an NRHA event, you know, there's a couple things. I think one thing we're doing here at USC is we've actually started and are trying to foster rural interest groups. Uh, we have one at each of our medical schools for the medical students and other health professionals. But we also have a rural interest group on main campus for the undergrads and all the majors, not just the health sciences. And it's interesting. I think our vice president this past year was either math or econ major, but they were fascinated by rural or from rural or wanting to do good in rural. And I think it's those sorts of things where as we are older, as we have you know tenure for those of us in universities, those of us that have networks of people that we know, how do we leverage the resources we have to provide a platform for students to be exposed to this kind of content, the learn how accessible advocacy really is, especially NRHA makes it super easy to write to your senators and congressmen about issues and to be really well informed on those issues. I think once we expose that to them, and then if it's possible and you have resources to bring them to events, you know, so they learn and meet people as well, I think it's a It's just a great way to foster that. I know most of our states have state rural health associations or some sort of state rural health meeting. You know, that's another great place. It's probably cheaper to do that. You know, going to New Orleans in May is rather expensive for most folks. Although most of the students I've talked to seem excited about that possibility for some reason. But, you know, get them involved in the state association. Take them to the state legislature to, you know, stay in the lobby and talk to legislators and advocate that way. You know, it just takes mentorship and it takes a decision to take some of your own time and invest in them and to give up some of your time that you'd rather be doing your own thing and invest in them like someone invested in you. And when this episode airs, we will have just returned from the National Rural Health Association's Policy Institute. This is an event which brings together rural health advocates from all over the country so they have the opportunity to hear directly from elected officials and the heads of various federal departments in Washington, D.C. Why do you think the Policy Institute is so important? Yeah, I think the Policy Institute is unique in a lot of ways. It is very informative. You know, Carrie and her team in the at NRHA do a really good job of bringing in speakers who are agency heads, sitting congresspeople, uh, directors of Medicaid and Medicare, Indian Health Service, all sorts of folks who are really in the know about what's going on with healthcare policy and how it impacts rural. So we often learn a lot that way. Uh, Carrie and her team do a lot of education at these meetings as well. But there's also built-in time and framework and education and materials provided by NRHA for the attendees to go and visit their representatives on Capitol Hill. And I think that's very powerful for them to see that in person people from Nebraska to come to Congress and see the representatives in their office and say, this is so important. We flew all the way out here, invested this time, and we're really passionate about it. When they meet these people in person, it's hard not to see the passion and the fire they have to improve their rural communities. I think it makes a huge impact. And the other thing that I really like about Policy Institute is you really see the true 
bipartisan nature of the effort of the work. You know, looking at the agenda, there's one section where there's Congress people from both sides of the aisle speaking one right after the other, and they're all supportive and many of them co-sponsored legislation together because they see the value. And it's not one of these current fights that we have all the time in Congress. It seems like we can't get anything done because of it. Rural is a place where people can come together across the aisle and Policy Institute's a great way to learn about that and see how effective NRHA is at implementing policy and changing policy and influencing how agencies do it as well. It's uh, it's quite a show, quite a spectacle. As part of the Policy Institute, I will be leading a delegation from Virginia to Capitol Hill to speak directly with our members of Congress. When talking with those elected officials and their staff, how do we communicate our needs without resorting to the gloom and doom you referred to earlier? Right. I think you have to make a conscious effort to redirect from the doom and gloom. You know, I think you can acknowledge it up front, for example, which is what I try to do when I talk. You know, yes, we all know this, this, and that, and the other, and these are the issues, and here's a flyer that tells you all about it. But these are the simple policy levers that you can support as my representative that would make a huge difference. And really, there's, there's a lot of things that seem like small dials to turn, so to speak, but make a huge impact with rural. And a lot of those, these representatives either aren't aware of because it's a smaller population. It's not most of the expenses in Medicare and Medicaid. So it may just not be on their radar and informing of it, you know, hey, have this little clause in the bill that carves out rural from this or excludes rural hospitals from this or maintains that 2% extra payment for these rural folks goes a long way where that is essentially budget dust. The budget impact is very small, but makes a huge difference. And so I think, you know, getting to that point quickly, like, hey, these are the quick and easy things you could do that make a huge impact will make them feel good about, hey, this is easy. I know exactly what to do. It's a positive. It'll win me more votes and actually impact people in a healthy way. That's, that's you know, talk their language, right? And what's your favorite part of the Policy Institute? You know, it's that's an interesting question. I like I like the speakers. I like seeing that uh, that parade come through. The Hill visits are always interesting. I don't go every year. I don't know if I'm gonna, able to this year or not. Depends on schedules. I think seeing that impact, seeing people there, is really fun. It's exciting. It's it tends to be energizing in a lot of ways. I think to see the possibilities and what we can do. And you know, I like walking around DC dusk sunset time and the American Indian Smithsonian Museum is one of my favorites. I love to be able to go do that too. So it's a, it's a holistic approach. You know, it's, it's rejuvenating for work. It gives you hope for the future for rural and you get to see some beautiful monuments along the way. The history is deep in DC. (laughs) Good and bad. Indeed. Indeed. So last question, if you could do anything, what would you do to improve health and healthcare in rural America? Ooh, any one thing? going to limit, limit me to one thing? I've allowed people to. Okay, you don't want to do that with me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, what I really would love is for us to change the way we think about healthcare in general. You know, I think we see healthcare as a commodity, as a way to make money, and it's something that you pay for on an individual service level. And people can make money off of it. And if you can't afford it, then you should just work harder. And I think if we can switch that to thinking about healthcare as a basic 
right and utility that everybody should have access to. And we fund it that way. You know, nobody bats an eye that we're spending taxpayer dollars to put in pipes for water that's accessible to everyone no matter what. Why can't we do that for healthcare entities? Why shouldn't we pay rural health clinics a set amount of money every year just to keep their doors open regardless of volume? You know, pay that OBGYN a certain salary that is livable and meets their needs and competitive no matter how many people they see just because it's the right thing to do for our people. Uh, we have the money to do it. It would not only save money, but save lives. And it's a it's a decision we need to make as a country if we're going to treat healthcare that way or not. And I don't see us getting close to that anytime soon. So I need that magic wand to make that change. Oh, we will work on putting that magic wand together at D.C. Sounds great. All right. Thank you, Kevin. My pleasure. That's Dr. Kevin Bennett with his vision for the future of health in rural America. If you want to be part of the conversation about rural health, join Kevin and myself in New Orleans this May. The National Rural Health Association will be hosting their annual conference. Details are in the show notes. The Rural Health Voice is a podcast of the Virginia Rural Health Association. It is sponsored by the Virginia State Office of Rural Health and underwritten by the National Rural Health Association. 